Welcome to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about co-parenting, separation, divorce, and the hardest question of all, should you stay or should you go? I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and I'm here to help you navigate some of the roughest waters you've ever swum in and answer some of your toughest questions. I've been to hell and back, and now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I am really excited to bring you this conversation today with Tammy Wallensack about whether or not you should take or leave the house. And she has some incredible tips, um, things that your lawyer's not going to tell you, and things that you need to know when you are trying to decide whether or not to keep the house. Stuff that I had no idea about that I learned in this conversation. So super important. Stay tuned for that. Um, I want to tell you about something really exciting that I'm doing starting on, uh, well, it started this week, so, (laughs) but next time I am doing a monthly Q&A. So it's a live monthly call with me. It's on Zoom. It's basically your opportunity to come together with me in community from wherever you are to answer your questions. And you can submit anonymous questions in advance. So I'll be doing it the second Tuesday of each month. And it'll be at 9.30 a.m. Pacific time. And it's just an hour, so I'll get to as many questions as I can. But if you have questions and you want to just, or you just want to get together with a bunch of women doing the same, going through the same things, this one is for women only, guys. Um, For the men, I have stuff coming. I promise. I really do. But this one is just for women. Um, So it's going to be the second Tuesday of every month at 9.30 Pacific time. So the first one, we just did the kickoff on February 14th. And so the next one will be on March 14th. You must register in advance. This is for safety and security um, of all participants. You need to register because I'm not making the Zoom link public. So you'll each get your own individual Zoom link. So the registration can be found at kateanthony.com slash monthly Q plus A. It's just the plus sign. So all one word, monthly Q plus A um, on my website. And we'll put that in the show notes and I'll talk about it more um, as things are, you know, coming up. Um, I'll, I'll talk about it when it's a little closer to the next one, but I'm super excited. I'm recording this intro, full disclosure. <laughs> I'm recording this intro before we've had the first one. Um, but so I can't tell you how it went, but I anticipate that it's going to be great. We've already had like, I think like a hundred people sign up for it. So <laughs> we'll see how I'm able to manage these, but I'm excited about them. And I think it's going to be great. And it's, they're completely free, by the way, completely free. Just show up, ask me your questions, be in community and be awesome. All right. So today my guest, Tammy Wallensack. 
Tammy is a certified divorce lending professional and a senior mortgage loan originator. So certified divorce lending professional, different from a regular mortgage broker. She has worked in the mortgage industry for more than 25 years and is licensed to lend in 46 states. She specializes in divorce mortgage planning. Tammy takes a holistic approach to the process of evaluating mortgage options in the context of the overall financial objectives as they relate to divorcing solutions, uh, divorcing situations prior to settlement for the best outcome for the divorcing homeowners. And this is a really important thing that she says here, prior to settlement. So one of the questions, one of the things we're going to talk about in this episode is like, when should you be talking to a divorce mortgage planner? Now, now, first, before you do anything. The best thing about Tammy is that consulting with her is free of charge. Um, Her phone is about to ring off the hook. I can already tell. She's wonderful. She's amazing. She's super smart. And this conversation will blow your mind. Tammy, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us. I mean, about mortgages, keeping the house. What does it mean? It's It can be so overwhelming. And this is only it, one small piece. <laughs> oh my gosh, Kate. You're so, thank you, first of all, for having me. I'm so um, honored to be on your show. You have such an amazing um, outlet for people. A lot of my um, clients, you know, they find me through these types of medias. And so I I find that it's super important. And yes, it is one, just one small piece to the pie, but sometimes a very large piece and sometimes a very emotional piece as we were just talking about. So yeah. Yeah. You are a certified divorce lending professional, which is distinct from just like a mortgage broker, right? And so can you explain what that means? Why, what is the, what is the difference and why does it matter? I like to tell people that I um, really understand the process of divorce, but then happen to be able to do a mortgage. So just like when you're hiring an attorney, you want somebody that is a family law attorney and is a divorce attorney. You don't want to go out and hire a bankruptcy attorney to do your divorce work. So in that same light, we're trained in the process of divorce and how that intersects with mortgage guidelines. So that sometimes there's a big gap between the two. So I like to yeah. help fill that gap Interesting. for people. Interesting. Yes. And, and so important. I mean, I had no idea. I have a feeling that there are a lot of things we're going to talk about in this conversation that are going to really upset me. <laughs> oh, because I, because this is the, this is the, the help that I didn't have. Yeah. 14 years ago. Um, yeah. I don't even know if there was such a thing as a certified divorce lending professional 14 years ago when I got divorced. I don't think that it existed. Um, the founder of um, the Divorce Lending Association um, really, start, I think she started it about 10 years ago. And she too found that there was a really big gap between family law and mortgage lending. And when you get settlement agreements that are inked, signed up and somebody hands it to you and they say, guess what? I get to keep the house. And they're like, 
excited that they won this thing. Right. And then you look at it and you're like, oh my gosh, you, you can't, you can't qualify to do that for what you signed up to do. You, you don't have the ability to do that. Okay. So this is, this is huge. I think because I work with so many women and I hear from, you know, thousands of women every day. I mean, I don't talk to thousands of women every day, let's be real. Um, But my Facebook group has like, you know, over 12,000 women in it. And so like, you know, I'm reading these women's stories every day and they are, you know, especially stay-at-home moms, they're very connected to their home. They want to keep their children in their home in particular. And, but more than that, they're very attached to their home and they want to fight to stay in the house. But what I heard you just say is that even if your mediator is like, okay, and like you sort this thing out or you litigate, you may not actually be able to do that. Right. You still have to qualify. So talk to me about that. Yeah, that's the biggest piece that people really don't understand. And well, you know, there's a couple of things and and ways that I really try to communicate what that means to people because they do tie the house a lot to emotion. And so if we can take that emotional piece out, yes, you do want it. A lot of times it's um, the house means safety. It means, you know, it has a lot of memories. There's a lot of things that are built within that house. And it doesn't just um, come down to numbers or dollars and cents for people. So if you can take that piece out of it and look at the dollars and cents of it, there's things that have to happen when you're dividing a marital home. You can't just cut it down the middle with a saw and say, okay, this part's yours and this part's mine. So how do you divide that? And there's a lot of moving parts to that. A lot of times, um, especially now, there's been a lot of appreciation in homes. The The asset part of the house is the amount between the value of the home and what the mortgage balance is. So for numbers purposes, let's say the house is worth five hundred thousand, and you owe two hundred thousand. Right. The asset is really the difference, the three hundred thousand. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. That's the amount of money that really you're trying to figure out how to divide. Sorry, just to interrupt. That's the oh, equity, yeah. right? That's, that's the so equity. That's what we, that's call, what we equity. call equity. That's okay. what we call mm-hmm. equity. So when you right. hear the word equity. That's what that means. It's the the difference between the value of the home and the mortgage balance. And so a lot of times what happens in a settlement is you're trying to divide that money. And so sometimes people give up that $150,000 that's their portion in order to try to keep the house, right? Well, Okay, so you've done that. Maybe you've given up other assets, maybe marital assets to do that, because really you're going to put all your marital assets in a bucket, right? Right. And then you're going to start negotiating. So you may give up his retire access to his retirement or his, you know, his 401k, like whatever, right? In order to offset that. that. In Mm -hmm. order to offset that money, right? Or you could do what's called an equity buyout, meaning you're going to go ahead and cover that and pay him or the out spouse, I like to call it, doesn't necessarily, mm-hmm. the, the the wife could be the one leaving the house. I mean, so we try to be just use the term spouse, but if the out spouse is leaving the house, that person is due that 150000 some way. 
So you could say that you're going to cover it by remortgaging the house and refinancing the $200,000 plus the $150,000. Now the new mortgage on the house is $350,000. Okay. So just let, let me just make sure I have this clear. Yep. So yeah. you're essentially, you're refinancing the 200, but then you're also pulling the 150 in equity yes. and then re getting a new mortgage for the 150 plus the 200. That's exactly right. So okay. now you're carrying more debt on the home, right? So now your new mortgage is 350,000. So a lot of times people, women come to me and they go, oh, well, I can afford the mortgage payment. And they're just looking at what the mortgage payment is today, right? Right. They're not taking into consideration that they might have to roll that amount in and refinance. And if that's the case and they're refinancing, they're refinancing in current market rates also. Which now in in this in today's market, and I know you in can't today's market. You right? can't talk about rates and 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 everything, but right today's market that's a very different. More. Yeah, that's yes. probably going to be more. And we are talking about this, very, you know, yeah. in February of 2023, when mortgage rates and interest rates are you know high, a high, high. Higher. Yeah. Um. Right. So you are, and now you also. Not yeah. only is this you are refinancing and so it's it's a, it's a you're basically taking out an entirely new mortgage that's at, right. at current rates yep but you then you have to you have to also qualify for that mortgage you also have to qualify so you're not only taking on additional debt on a home but you have to qualify to do that so now your spouse isn't going to be on the loan anymore the loan's going to be in your name alone, and you have to know, make sure that you have enough income in order to qualify. Well, here's there's the kicker, right? Right. Especially right. Um, with um, stay-at-home moms, that's where it gets very tricky. Yeah. So I will tell you, in my case, the thing that I came up against when I was getting divorced as a stay-at-home yeah. mom yeah. was that the mortgage companies did not accept spousal support as income. Now, is that still the case? Because that was 14 years ago. <laughs> yeah. So yes, you can use spousal support um, to qualify, but there's parameters and criteria around that. And what has to happen is you have to have received it for six months. So you need a history between three and six, depending on the mortgage program. But I like to be, you know, six months is a good yeah. kind of benchmark. And then it has to at least have a three-year continuance, meaning it has to be being paid out at least three more years from the time that you refinance or close the mortgage loan. So, right, there's a... There's a big timing thing involved there. There's a lot of like specifics that you have to be involved. So if you have an attorney that's like, um, okay, great. You can keep the house and you're going to refinance within 90 days, which I see a lot of. Oh, wow. Then <laughs> guess, and you're using support to qualify. Guess what? Dead, dead in the water. 
You Because you haven't received it for six months. Oh my gosh. And they want you to do it within 90 days because he wants to be off the mortgage. If he's not keeping the house, he right. wants to be off the mortgage or they want to be right. off the mortgage. So, you know, I find this right. actually right. fascinating, right? Because I love how in the finance world, right, when it's their bottom line, their ass on the line, so to speak, right? Yeah. They know that oh, that somebody in this position is going to need at least three years of support to be able to get back on their feet. And yet, when you're negotiating support for during your divorce, they don't think about that at all. No, no. <laughs> right. And you know what? A lot of times, and I think that's where a, a C, you know, it's a CDLP. I like to just abbreviate mm-hmm. it, but a CDLP. So we'll come in and a lot of times I'll be part of those negotiations and help them understand, look, yes, they want to keep the the marital home and yes, we can do it, but we need a little bit longer time, Mm -hmm. right? Right. So like we need a little, we need this stretched out a little bit longer. And in the event, let's say that there is an equity buyout and you're paying out that person $150,000, they're going to have a pretty good, um, Incentive, right? They'll have a good incentive. Yes. There's the incentive. (laughs) The incentive is definitely there to stretch out the the support for a little bit longer in order to get their $150,000 if in the event that you can qualify using the support. But you know what, Kate? I don't always say that that might not be the best option. Sometimes when I run the actual physical numbers for things and people understand really what they're signing up for and really what the new mortgage payment looks like for them, then they're kind of like, oh, Maybe that's not what I want. Maybe I really do want to sell the house and take my portion of the equity and buy something smaller or buy something that's more reasonable for me and my kids and my future, Um, even though it it is an emotional thing. I mean, a lot of times it's a really hard, something very difficult to hear, Mm -hmm. Um, but it makes for a better, more informed decision. But you know what? The last thing you want to do is end up in foreclosure in a few years. Right. And then that's a lot harder, right. I think, on your children than moving them somewhere that you can actually afford. And, you know, right. I mean, in my case, I'm I'm still renting because I live in Los Angeles. Yeah. And I had yeah. zero recourse to buy. My mother was even going to help me and co-sign a loan, but they wouldn't take her her retirement as collateral and all of her money. And there was a significant amount that she had built up as a nest egg, but it was all in retirement accounts and the mortgage companies wouldn't accept that as a cosign. Well, there's a lot of, you know, sometimes people think, you know, that they have a certain amount of money going into their bank account and they know what their cash flow is. But in the mortgage world, unfortunately, we end up chunking down a lot of those income streams to what they is actually called qualified income. So there's parameters around different times. Sometimes women go back to work and they're, you know, they go have a part-time job and they're like, now I'm working part-time. Like I should be able to use that income. There's parameters around that. You have to have a two-year history of having part-time income in order to use it. So it's a really good idea to meet with um, uh, somebody that can understand all those income streams and help you really come up with what you can actually use and what you can't use and maybe come up with some solutions. If I can get to people 
during this period of time, then I can help them come up with options that might help them with the negotiations, as well as putting the right language in the settlement agreement and creating income streams for them that they haven't haven't thought of before. So, and I, th- I want to add this before, you know, because I think that when people are going through divorce, they, they're like, oh my God, how many professionals do I need to hire? <laughs> right? Great question. Right? Yeah. So your consultations and your services are how much? Zero. <laughs> <laughs> Let's say free. that again really, really loud. Free. That's free. So why yeah, is that? Free. F-R-E-E. Okay. So tell me why you are like y'all. And you can also work anywhere, <laughs> right? You are anywhere in the U.S.? I can work in anywhere in the U.S. other than four states. Unfortunately, we're not in um, Alabama, Alaska, Hawaii, and New York. That I'm, uh, I work for a banking platform. We're um, federally chartered, so that allows me to lend in all 50 states. We choose to lend in 46 of them mm-hmm. for compliance reasons and that type of thing. But um, so the reason why I cannot charge for my services is under the what's called the Equal Credit Opportunity Act or ECOA. Mm-hmm. If I charged a divorcing client and I did not charge a first-time home buyer for a consultation that could be considered disparate treatment, I could lose my license by doing that. And so, you know, I do this as a as to help the divorce team and to help the divorcing client make a better decision. And in the event that there is a transaction post-divorce, then I would just hope to be considered for it. There's no obligation, obviously, to work with me. And if in the end, if the best option is for that person to rent or do something different, what does that do? It makes for a better settlement. It helps the divorce team. It helps all parties making sure that that settlement, it's a, it's an actually a, a, a good settlement agreement, right? Mm-hmm. And I find that that always comes back around with the universe, right? Like making <laughs> right. a really good decision. And you're building relationships that way. You're not forcing people into, when you're not forcing people into financial decisions they can't afford, um, just because it benefits your bottom line, people actually, when it when it comes time to, to buy, they're going to come back to you anyway, right? <laughs> Totally believe in that. And I believe that there can be a successful divorce. And sometimes just having the numbers and the information really gives people peace of mind and making um, a much better um, negotiations. Maybe they don't hold firm on the house and like go into their negotiations, start giving up things that they shouldn't be giving up in order to keep such a large um, asset, um, that carries a lot of debt, you know, and, um, it, and it makes them have a better and a peaceful decision around. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering why, and you may not know this, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Um, why don't divorce attorneys know that sometimes what they're either fighting for, for their client or representing for their client actually isn't going to work? Well, that's a fair question, but really it's really not their job, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. 
their job as a, as a divorce attorney is to get somebody through the legal process. It's really the client's job to be the CEO of their divorce and to reach mm-hmm. out and get all the information regarding all their financial situation so that it, they know what their options are. It's not the divorce attorney's you know, uh, job to know what mortgage lending is or to be, you know, a financial advisor and to do and to wear all these hats. In fact, if you can keep them out of these decisions, the cost of the divorce is going to be less, right? Because you're not relying on them to be all these things. That's so true. But, you know, I guess what I, you know, you, we, we assume that our attorneys are advising us on all things divorce, right? And I guess, you know, what I hear you yeah. saying, and I think this is a really huge piece for so many, especially women, unfortunately, yeah. is that, you know, we have to be, and I heard someone talking about this this morning on NPR, that we have to be our own uh the CFOs of our lives, like you yeah. said, I think you said the CEO, but like actually the CFOs yeah. of our divorce of our divorces, yeah. Sorry, yeah. right? That's right. And, yeah. And you know, it's hard because we don't know what we don't know. Right. And this is really, I think, a question of financial literacy overall. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Um, yeah. And there's so much to know. Yeah. As, a, as just as a person, like as a human being, let alone a financial, you yeah. know, expert, a financial analyst, but just like as a human, there's so much to know about financial literacy. Well, I think that there is a division of responsibilities in a marriage a lot of times, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Because a lot of times what happens when you're married is certain people cover certain things within the marriage. You know, some people take care of the children's schedules and make sure that there's groceries in the refrigerator. Some people make sure that the bills are paid and that there's money saved for retirement. Some people make sure that the maintenance on the house is done. So, you know, there's a divide and conquer kind of thing. And now all of a sudden you're splitting up and now you're having to be responsible for a lot of things that you didn't worry about. And there's no shame in that. And I think um, women a lot of times come to me and they feel very, uh, you know, uh, have a lot of shame around the fact that they don't know where they make their mortgage payment. They don't know what the balance of the mortgage is. They don't know how to do some of these things. And I say, you know, give yourself grace around that because there is no shame in that. You're going to go into a new chapter of your life where you're going to learn a lot of that stuff and, you know, we'll work through it together. And then you and then you can surround yourself with professionals that are going to help you and and educate you about all that. This is all the aspects of your life, right? And about all your finances. I mean, we can't know it all. I don't I hire somebody to do my retirement planning and to do my investing and stuff. If I didn't know all that stuff, like it'd be crazy. One of the questions I get asked a lot in my Facebook group, my programs, on Instagram, is what do I do with my engagement ring, my wedding ring? I've got all of these beautiful diamonds. I don't know what to do with them. Well, today's sponsor, Worthy, can help you get the most money possible for your jewelry, fast and risk-free. When you partner with Worthy, They do all the work for you, and their competitive auctions get you up to three times what a local jeweler would offer in as little as two weeks. 
The best part about Worthy is that you are in charge of what happens to your jewelry. You set the reserve price, you approve the winning bid, and then you get paid. And if your item doesn't sell for the price that you want, Worthy sends it back to you at no cost, fully insured. And now you can visit worthy.com slash DSG and get an extra $100 when your jewelry sells for over $1,500. That's worthy.com slash DSG. Worthy, a better way to cash in on that hidden asset in your jewelry box. Worthy.com slash DSG. We do sort of go from, as you said, like a dividing, often right. a divide and conquer to, uh, right. oh my God, I have to do everything. And that includes on the, you know, on the other side, if, you know, the person who didn't take care of any of the household stuff or, you know, right. never cooked or cleaned is suddenly like, yeah. oh my God, yeah. I'm so overwhelmed. I'm yeah. not, you know, um, and And so there is no shame in that. Absolutely. And also there are a lot of women certainly who are listening to this podcast um, who are being financially abused, who have been kept in the dark for a number of years. And, you know, there's this whole like, how do I shed light on this? How do I even get the information that I have been, uh, that's been withheld from me? So it's a big learning curve for a lot of people. Oh, absolutely. And I think that that's why it's even more important that somebody actually physically run the numbers for you and that you're really aware of what you're signing up for because you can't just go into this like without the information and just say, okay, I'm going to keep the house. And then, you know, and then be shocked later. Now you're under a court order that you have to do certain things and you can't you, do them. you you can't do them or you're like oh my gosh the mortgage payment is like double what i thought it was going to be and it's half of my support and i have all these other things that i have to take care of with this amount of money and you have, nobody's really budgeted for any of it and it can really c- create a lot of financial ruin and a lot of stress and at the end of the day the more stressed mama is, the more stressed the kids are. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and financial stress is, I mean, I, I having lived with it for a, a good portion of my life, I think it's, you know, un, it can be so terrifying. Terrifying. So yeah. terrifying. So one of the, I, I guess one question is like, it sounds to me like you want to bring a mortgage professional into this like sooner than you think. This isn't oh, something yeah. to do once the agreement is signed. Because you no. actually should not be signing that agreement <laughs> until you yes, spoken I say to if, you. If there's a marital home or any kind of real estate involved with mortgages on it that you're contemplating, you need to bring a mortgage professional in at the very beginning to help you with all with all this information. And I put it in a very comprehensive plan so that the entire team, you know, the divorce team, whether it just be the attorney, the mediator, the financial advisor, whoever we're working with can look at these numbers. I mean, even a financial advisor doesn't really, you know, we also stay in our lane. Like I refer a lot to a financial advisor because sometimes there's, you're going to sell the house, there might be capital gains, there might be things that really need to be taken into consideration and a lot of moving parts to to that. So having a team of professionals that can help you um, um, with each each of their lanes, um, and then you can gather all the information and make a better decision. So how, so, okay. And so 
what you do obviously is is then you would work in in concert with say a CDFA. Yeah. So it's mm-hmm. a it's a it's a completely different thing and a CDFA would not be able to do what you do. Right. We work very much, very, we're like two peas in a pod in a sense that, you know, I'm not going to give information to somebody about whether or not they should give up their retirement in lieu of equity in a house, right? My job is to really kind of guide them on how to make sense of how much equity is actually in the house and like where to, you know, kind of the resources to use to come up with those things, how to find um, crunch the numbers. And then I give all the information back and say, now what you do with it now is going to be how you work through your negotiations. And sometimes they'll come back to me and say, you know, maybe there is that $150,000 of equity that we originally talked about, but maybe they've chunked that down and now they're going to offer their spouse, you know, 50000 of equity. Maybe it's not the whole 150000 Okay, Tammy, now what does... 200,000 on the mortgage plus 50,000 look like if I roll those two together, maybe that makes more sense. Or maybe, you know, it does make sense to give up all the equity, you know, to pay not to pay out the equity, um, and to give it up in other assets and just refinance just the mortgage. Um, So taking a look at that can really help you empower you to make these decisions. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's so much. It's so much. Yeah. So, okay. Are there some other hurdles that, that divorcing couples face in this, in this realm? Like when they're, when they're yeah, looking at this and looking at the numbers and looking at the house and who's keeping it, are they going to have to sell it? Yeah. Well, another really big one that people don't take into um, consideration is credit, right? You have to look at your credit and know what's on your credit report. Your credit is so critical to a lot of this. You're not going to qualify for a loan, even if you do have a job, if you have bad, if you have bad credit, right? (laughs) If your credit is dinged because of something and, you know, I was working with a woman uh, recently and she recently had a collection on her credit report. She didn't even know it. It was like a medical collection that had just had her hit her credit report. Well, her credit scores went down significantly and that affects mortgage rates. Mortgage rates are based on so many things, not just, you know, you can't just look out in the marketplace and be like, oh, the rates are X because um, rates are based on your credit scores, how much, you know, you're borrowing against the value of the home, what type of property it is. There's a lot. A lot of criteria that go into what a mortgage rate is. So if you can write, you know, get a copy of your credit report, look at your credit report, know what's on your credit report, make sure that there's no debt that you weren't aware of. Maybe there's debt that was taken out in your name, or maybe you have a home equity line of credit that's on the house that you completely forgot about and somebody's mm. been using it. <laughs> oh Lord. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Which I've seen happen. Mm-hmm. Right. Um Yes, right. That that or that a spouse yeah. is taken out and you didn't know anything about that. Right. Right. All I mean, that happens all the time. All the time. All the time. Um, or, you know, it just gives you a really clear picture of what is on your credit report, what your credit looks like. And then if you're doing it at the beginning of your divorce, it gives you time, right? That now gives you time to work on some things. Like this particular woman. 
She was able to pay the collections, get it cleared up, get it removed from her credit report so that it helped um, really clean up her credit so that when she is in a position to do a transaction, whether or not she was going to keep the house or buy a new house, right, then Mm -hmm. um, now she's in a very much better situation going into that transaction. Right, right. So this is all the stuff that that we need to be looking at. I mean, I would say even for people who are trying to decide whether to stay or go, right? Or if you know that it's going to happen, and especially if it's going to be high conflict in any way, these are the kinds of things you're going to want to get into researching before, possibly before you even have the conversation. Yes, absolutely. The more you can gather. And I, when I do these reports for people, I tell them, you know, it's a fluid document. We -hmm. can make changes on it as you go through your negotiations and you make different decisions and you talk to your CDFA or other people on your divorce team and different options are being thrown out. Come back to me. Let's take a look at different things. I mean, a lot of times, the maintenance numbers or the support numbers or the child support numbers, you know, they're all being kind of manipulated and worked it on and stretched out and, you know, all the things. So um, it's not something that once I do it, okay, good. Now you're good. Go on your way. Um, I I work with people for months, sometimes a year, you know, like as they're working through their divorce. Yeah. Oh, God love you. Um, (laughs) What other things are, are people not thinking about in this realm? I mean, well, I think they're not thinking about um, a couple of things, maintenance on the home, right? So you have a marital home and you really want to keep it, but you haven't considered like all the maintenance that's involved with the home and you've lived in a home for a very long time. Sometimes we walk right by things in our house and we don't even pay attention because it's been like that, you know, for mm-hmm. 10 years or whatever, and we just don't even see it anymore. I always suggest that people get um, an inspection done just as if they were going to buy a new house, get an inspection done on your own home. That way somebody can really take a look at the plumbing, the electrical, the big ticket items that's going that you're getting ready to sign up to keep that house. Everything's going to be on you post-divorce. Yeah. Maybe the roof, maybe you need a new roof and you completely forgot about it. Right. Now, all of a sudden the house is in your name. The other person's gone. Now you need a new roof. Guess what? You get to pay for that new roof. That's right. That's right. Or, you know, all of a sudden one day the sewage backs up into your yard and like, uh-oh. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, for the amount of money that it costs to get a home inspection, you know, around the country, maybe it's, you know, $500 or whatever it is, well worth, worth the it. money spent well worth the money spent. Then you have an itemized list. And sometimes you can even use it in your negotiations, right? That's right. Hey, I'm going to keep the house. We're going to need a new roof in two years. And so maybe I'm not going to pay you X amount of money. Maybe I'm going to pay you you know, less amount because if we sold the home, guess what? The buyers are going to get an inspection done and they're going to start negotiating with you. So right. same That's thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And this is another thing that I think uh, we're, we need to need to be thinking a little bit more about now. So I got divorced in 2009. Okay. So our house, <laughs> when we got when we got divorced, was completely underwater. 
And so they basically, you know, our CDFA. That was a fun year, wasn't it? Was it was a great year. It was a great year. And our CDFA was like, well, for the pleasure of leaving your house, you will have to give your husband $125,000 because he was essentially taking on a $250,000 debt. It was underwater. Yeah, it was underwater by two fifty. It was much, it was a bigger, de- anyway. My, even, you know, to his credit, my ex was like, that doesn't make any sense. Obviously I'm keeping this house until it, I'm not, I'm not selling it today. So right. it will become an asset again, presumably. I mean, nobody knew what was going to happen, but you know, we are guessed, you know, and the reason I did not keep, I did not fight to keep my house was that I knew I had two years of spousal yeah. support. It was a mortgage that I, there was no way I was going to be able to afford after the two years was up. And then what if I needed yeah. a new roof or what if the, you know, the sewer line backed up, which by the way, it did within the next few years oh. of my ex keep having it and keeping it. And he, Crazy. you know, fortunately he could afford those things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But what I didn't do, because we didn't know this yet, because we'd never been through something like the the financial crash of, of 2008, 2009. Nobody had really. Nobody you know, had. Right. And so what I didn't do was negotiate like any contingencies for when he sells it later. I didn't, you know, I I just basically gave him the house free and clear, which looked like it was a really good deal on my, on my end at the time. But actually then he sold it for probably like a $350,000 profit off of, off of what we bought it for. Now, obviously that wasn't all profit because yeah. he had put in a new roof, he'd paid a mortgage for, you know, for another yeah. five years, all of the things, right? I don't even know if this is something that you deal with, but, you know, how would you recommend people now, now that we've been through that whole thing, yeah. and we are possibly facing it again? Yeah. How how would you advise people to deal with an upside well, down? <laughs> in a, in a yeah, house? I mean, that that's a really hard decision to make because nobody can really predict the future. It's like when people come to me and say, you know, what should I do? Cause interest rates are, 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 are so high comparatively speaking. Most people, unless you lived under a rock have refinanced over the last couple of years, you know, or tried to at some point and have a pretty good interest rate on their home. Um, so you know, they're lo- really looking at a higher interest rate, but, you know, it's a, there's a funny saying in our business called mirror the house, date the rate. I mean, it's, you know, I don't yeah, know right. it's appropriate in, some <laughs> of, in our <laughs> conversation, but really no, what, it yeah. means, you know, right. what it really means is you're not tied to a rate forever. You're not tied to the valuation of the home forever. These things go come in ebbs and flows, right? I mean, there's cycles in lots mm-hmm. of financial my- markets, you know, where the markets are really great and the markets are terrible and the markets are bit great again, blah, blah, blah. It just depends on the time yeah. that you have, right? So yeah. it's all a matter of time. And sometimes, you know, women want to keep the house for such a short period of time for like, oh, I'm going to keep the house for for a year and a half until my kids get out of high school. Well, guess what? Now you're going to sell that house. You're going to also absorb all the costs of the sale of the Mm -hmm. house, right? Mm -hmm. There's costs involved to selling a a property. Um, I mean, across the country, you know, you could probably put a number on around 8% 
that can be a really large number. By the time you pay a realtor and there's, you know, taxes involved with selling and all these things, all these fees, um, that's a chunk of change. Yeah. So now you've, you, you, you've paid out your spouse, you've given them this equity. Now you're going to only keep the house for a year and a half. And now you're going to absorb all the costs of the sale on top of it. So that dips into your portion. Because we don't, right. Because we're thinking like, oh, well, I buy them out for, you know, 300,000 or 150,000. And then I'm going to sell it at this profit or whatever. But you're not thinking about all of the other costs that are eating all the other costs involved and stuff. So really, I, I try to really list that out for people too and figure out their why. Why do you want to keep the house? Yes. What about the house is important to you? Right. And can there be other sol- other options for you? Maybe, maybe not. Right. Maybe. Um, and, and, you know, a clean break when you're talking about divorce, you're really talking about trying your best to split everything. You're no longer, you know, you're no longer going to be related to this person. So you don't want to be in business with them any longer. <laughs> And when you keep large assets together and and you continue to do things, you're just opening yourself up to further conversations and further things that can come up down the road um, uh, regarding a lot of these things. Confrontations. Um, You're going to have to make decisions together, right? If you were still, if you're still on. Yeah, it's just, yes, exactly. If you couldn't make decisions, if you can't communicate going through your divorce, why do you want to, you know, be tied to a a really large asset together? Right. And, you know, I think about this a lot with my, with my old house, but that I, I, I mean, I love that house. I still, I mourn it. I mourn it. I don't drive down that block. Um, because I really do I mourn the loss of that house. And again, it's been 14 years. Yeah. Um, but yeah. if I had stayed connected to the house, if I had stayed on as a part owner and all of that, I then would have been, because at a period of time, he moved out with his new wife and and their kids and they and they <sighs> rented it out. It was a rental. And I would have been like part owner and renting with his with his wife. What? <laughs> what? What a it does not even make sense. Like literally well, doesn't make sense. In, you know, here in Illinois, uh, where I am, you know, when you get a divorce, the the way that you hold title changes. It goes from tenancy of entirety to tenants in common. So what that means is you're not protected by a lot of the things that a marriage would do with title. And it's a lot more complicated, but exactly what you're saying can happen. You're no longer related to this person. You own an asset together. Now they go and they get remarried. Let's say, God forbid, something happens to this person and the person drops dead. Now you're all of a sudden you're in a, you're, you own a home with that person's wife. Right. Right. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. I mean, just, it's just a lot of complications, right. And a lot of things, Mm -hmm. I mean, most good uh, divorce attorneys, they try to help you see a lot of that stuff. Like, no, that's a bad idea. (laughs) You know, because people come to me with all kinds of 
craziness, you know, like, oh, well, I'll just keep the house. We're going to keep it together for the next three years. And then, you know, we're going to nest for three years. Um, no, no, you're not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> God love you. If you can do that, <laughs> God love you. But I don't think you're going to do that. No, but they come up with all these, all mm-hmm. these things are going on in their head yeah. and they're, they think that they're a great idea at the time. Yes. Today, it might be a great idea. Six months from now, it's going to be a train wreck. You know, That's right. a year from now, it's going to be even more of a disaster. That's right. That's right. Oh, so Anything else that we're not thinking about that we're generally speaking, not thinking about such as do I want to be a co-owner with my ex's new partner, new spouse? Like, yeah, crazy. I mean, <laughs> well, not everybody really needs to think that far, but I think um, really the the biggest thing is if there's a home involved is making sure you know what the numbers look like. You know that one other piece of the puzzle is you know your your homeowner's insurance. A lot of times people get group discounts, you know, you have multiple cars, you have, you know, the house, you have things, and then that person leaves. Now, all of a sudden, your homeowner's insurance could go up, right? You don't, you're not, uh, it's not the same type of coverage. You're being, you're re-underwritten by the insurance company because now it's just you. Maybe your spouse had the insurance in their name. So, you know, really understanding all those things because all those things get reevaluated. So uh, signing up for something that you're kind of in the dark about is not a good plan. Yeah. And, you know, I know a lot of women right now who are going through divorce, who are also looking at while all of everything you're saying is absolutely true. And they're like, I couldn't possibly afford it or whatever. I also, this market. Yeah. I cannot afford oh, even a rental yeah. in my area, let alone to buy mm-hmm. and wouldn't qualify yeah. and all yeah. of the things. What are we to do? Well, sometimes you are stuck with making some creative solutions mm-hmm. or coming up with a plan to, you know, kind of get you through a short period of time. But I wouldn't, I would say that, you know, if you're going to put something like that in your settlement where you're going to stay on the house. Um, and stay on the mortgage with your spouse for a certain amount of time, have an end date, right? Don't have it just be open-ended um, and, and and come up with a plan that's not like forever thing. Like, okay, we're going to stay on the house until like I decide that we're, I'm going to sell it at some fictitious time in the future. Because sometimes, like you said, there isn't, there, there aren't a lot of options out there, especially if you can't uh, move because children are in certain school districts. There's just no, there's not a lot of inventory right now. But um, as we said earlier, though, everything comes in cycles. Things change down the road. You know, sometimes it just might be for a window or a period of time. Um, but things will, you know, always always change. they will always come back around. There always will be a spring after winter. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> There will always be a market crash. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, I mean, you can't predict these things. You really Don't can't predict them. Right, right. So, you know, but there's other options too. I've given people options, like you were saying earlier, I think about possibly putting um your, you know, a relative on the on the mortgage with you. 
coming up with some creative um, options for you. I've done that before where parents have been willing to go Mm -hmm. on a loan um, for a short period of time until you got a certain amount of history behind you so that you could qualify or getting on your feet and have a certain amount of job history behind you, that type of thing. So um, sometimes you just need time and, and, and a creative, creative solutions. Yeah. Oh, Oh, it's so much. I just, I just, you yeah. know, I just keep flashing back to 14 years ago when, you know, the market was very different. And I was, and I was looking at all these wonderful houses that now would have been, you know, worth twice of what I paid for them. And I, I couldn't buy one. I couldn't do it. Right. And it was just, it's such a heartbreak. You could have, should have, would have, right? Could have, should have, would have. But then also I sit in this house that I've been renting all this time. And every time something breaks, every time the roof you know, it, there's a leak every, when I had, you know, a $10,000 mold remediation wasn't my, wasn't, wasn't my 10 grand. That's <laughs> a beautiful know? thing too, to be able to pick up a phone, right. And be like, and be like, there's a problem. It's your fault. It's your problem. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> there's something to be said about that. And sometimes people don't even think about the option of renting because they just feel like they maybe they've been a homeowner for so yeah. long that they don't even know what renting is about, yeah. you know, and they they're scared by it because they're not familiar with it. But sometimes it's a really good solution. I when once I got out of my marital home and figured out that it was way too much home for me and um, sold, I rented for a short period of time. And it was the best thing ever just because it gave me a little bit of breathing room and it gave me the ability to try to start, you know, make my next move um, yes. without a big commitment. And like, un- and like unencumbered with that pressure yeah. of like, I've got to be out in 30 days. So I yeah. got to, I got to buy something now. Right. You, yeah. it, you give yourself a little bit of a buffer. I think that's, I think it's, yeah. listen, I, I'm all for it. If, if that's yeah. what has to happen. And that for makes sure. sense. And like you said, then you actually know what your monthly outgo is going to be because you don't have all those extra expenses that could come up in ex- unexpectedly. Right. It gives you a little bit of a, it's like a, it's a landing. It's a bit, little bit of a place to land for a bit, to get your ducks in a row and figure out what's yeah. next. Yeah. Absolutely. Tammy, thank you so much. This has been such an enlightening conversation. I think uh, it's people, people need to hear this really, really need to hear all of this. Uh, where can people find you? You know, my name wasn't the easiest idea of a website. It's uh, my name, but I decided to just do take or leave the house.com. Oh my God. I love it. it. That's perfect. <laughs> So take or www.takeorleavethehouse.com. If you can remember that, um, uh, my calendar is open. My consultations, anybody can schedule a, a complimentary free F-R-E-E consultation. So please, I'm happy to just even answer questions for you um, if you're, you know, really unclear or unsure of yourself, definitely schedule something with me. I would love to give you the information that you need to make a better, a better decision for yourself. It's so wonderful and so generous and so great. Take or leave the house.com. I That's love it. it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Tammy. This is great. It was a pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review. 
And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at The Divorce Survival Guide. I'll see you next time. And until then, remember, you, my love, deserve to be happy.